Welcome to episode 197 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and join me this week back from his sabbatical. It's Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. I say you had a week off. That that's exclusively in podcasting. And to be fair, I didn't have a I didn't have much less time off than you. Mm. Yeah. You know? Because we skipped. Are you feeling rejuvenated? Yeah the the last podcast was. Uh... <laughs> we won't dare speak of that again. But I am feeling better, even though we're coming off a a loss to remember <laughs> for many reasons. I noticed lots of Nuggets fans who were and bloggers noting that it was the most memorable Nuggets Nuggets game they'd seen in thirty years. And yeah, it's hard to. Hard to kind of disagree with that. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. We're going to have a whole lot to talk about. Busy week. Books played four times all on the road. They went out west, which is something that, I don't know, it's kind of dreaded every year with the books. It doesn't normally go very well. Mm-hmm. This week they played very well. They just don't necessarily come back with the, the kind of returns that we would have liked to see as a result. We're going to get into the road trip and talk a little bit about all of those games and overall what we feel about the books with just five games remaining the regular season after that trip. We'll also talk about some of some of the problems that continue. Um, the bench has been a notable issue of late and not even that they aren't contributing. They're not getting quite the chance they were because it seems Joe Prunty feels a certain way about certain players. We'll talk about that a little bit more, plus Jabari's big game, Bledsoe's recent good play. And all of the usual stuff. Jordan, to get back to the road trip, games against the Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Nuggets. Books finish up at two and two on the trip. How would you grade the overall road trip? Where would you put your own feelings or how would you describe what you're thinking coming out of it? I mean, if you would ask me if the Bucks had gone two and two on this road trip, considering these opponents, just on paper, I would have said, okay, I would probably take that. But it was a very weird road trip for many reasons. I mean, we had three straight games with people getting ejected, uh, two of them not being uh, Bucks or the Warriors and Lakers games Durant, were not the Bucks. Caldwell Pope and Yeah. And then. Um, just uh, the losses are collapses of 
I don't know, Bucks magnitude that we've. I mean, I'm I I understand why people are so angry after that last night's game because that is like we've seen collapses in the Jason Kidd era and just the Bucks era and you know in recent memory, but like that one, I feel like that one like just takes the cake for the kind of just unraveling that we have seen to you know an epic proportion i mean even the clippers game like that get that's going to get overshadowed now because of this how this road trip finished i, up, I like, feel i think that was worse personally yeah honestly because opinion. as in not obviously the the way it unfolded in the nuggets game particularly because it was so late i think the i've seen the books do more to lose a game than they did against the nuggets it's yeah. just they did they did a lot in a very concentrated period of time at the end of that nuggets game that it's hard to look past that it was for a large part, you know, just the kind of run they'd given up earlier in the game. The kind of run really there was every reason to expect them to give up. I know that this I did the takeaways about it. I think the, the biggest reason not to be angry about that game, it was the book's third game in four nights at the end of a seven game road trip, their second overtime game in three days. They were playing at the highest altitude venue in the NBA. And they were looking to close out, the, out that game without their obvious consensus best player in Yanis. Yanis scored four points, I believe, in the second half. I mean, right. factor all of those things in. They were down by 11 at halftime, or it might be nine, something like that. And if you were to tell Bucks fans then, you know, they're going to give up a big run. Yanis is going to only score four points in the second half. What's going to happen? And yet the Bucks. You know, they were there in a game where Yanis scored 18 points overall. They had other guys pick up the slack. It doesn't mean that how they lost wasn't just absolutely brutal. Um, I was watching it after the fact, so I knew they had lost, and I was still, I was like, no, no, there's some sort of, there's some sort of elaborate belated April Fool's joke being played on me when they're up eight with 103 remaining. You're like, they're, this is going to overtime. But hey, that, that was what it was. I was more optimistic than you in that I thought they could go three and one on the trip. And I, I thought they'd need to as well to have any real hope of moving to seven or six. A couple of things happened. One, both the Heat and the Wizards have slipped up in maybe not as painful ways as the Bucks did against the Nuggets or the Clippers, but in games that were much more egregious to lose. Yeah. The Nets, the Bulls. That's not to say the Bucks haven't had their own share of you know losses to the Bulls. That would be helpful to have back right now. But going two and two, I, I actually think they're very much alive, and they might have more momentum than at least I don't know at least one of those teams. We'll 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 see. We'll get to some of that a little bit later. But I, I think for me, the key takeaway from it is the Bucks played well enough to go four and zero on that trip. They didn't go four and zero because of everything we've seen all season, all the things that we're used to by now. The books having defensive collapses, particularly where just the opponents rain in three pointers for fun. That's nothing new. The offense becoming stagnant and getting bogged down and them going through these long scoreless droughts. That's nothing new. But there has been positive play to make sure they were in all of those games. Um against the Lakers, they they gave up the lead just the same as they did against the Nuggets. Actually, a bigger lead, right? <laughs> That was a that oh was a, yeah they were up by 21 with like three two minutes to go in the third 
and that that one actually felt like more of an unraveling in some ways as well purely of their own making because it you could see it happen from a long way out rather than one sudden burst of just bizarre kind of a bizarre sequence of plays at the end like happened the denver game but Mm. you do that and they were able to actually rally back and win that game in overtime that was very encouraging i have to say i was completely bemused and baffled by the emphasis on Yanis not touching the ball in overtime when Eric Bledsoe starts overtime with a 9-0 run. I mean, it, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's, that's maybe a side point here, but I don't get it. Going into the Nuggets game, though, if you do that again, I mean, you're looking to get burned. The books were burned, but they also had a rally back at the end of overtime when all momentum had gone against them. They found something. I feel there's a different intensity to the books over the last week. I'm not saying that all leads to good play. We know that for a fact, and we've seen it. But they're ready to play at the start of games, even at the start of halves. Um, Not finishing out either half, really, against the Nuggets, considering the road trip they've been on and the obvious fatigue they're going to have. I mean, on top of the things I mentioned earlier, they're 77 games into a season. You know, (laughs) it's it's tough there's there's no mistake in that we can we can get on them for what just seem like completely mindless losses we don't know exactly what that feels like to be on the the final leg of that seven game road trip playing at altitude which is notoriously difficult in denver anyway and having to deal with that it was a painful loss it was a loss that we may well talk about for quite some time you know it, i feel like that's got sixers loss potential you know, for when we went back to our Sixers win potential, I should say. Get out of here. In terms of it, it will be remembered. It's not necessarily as detrimental long-term, but it'll be remembered like that one from two years ago that changed the book's draft pick dramatically. I feel there's there's the kind of... The same things are in place for us to remember it. Are you more confident than you were... A week ago, I guess we could stretch this back because they went into this trip having beaten the Spurs in one of their best performances in a long time at home as well. Are you more confident now that they still have a chance of climbing to either seven or six than you would have been before? Maybe part of that factors in with some of the things the Heat and Wizards have done too, but at least from where I'm sitting, I feel like that is kind of still wide open over the last five games. I am not. (laughs) (laughs) For those exact reasons. I mean, as we have learned over the last week, uh, you know, with the Bucks unraveling and other reading other pieces, I mean, the Bucks just don't, they're not able to speak the language. If I could borrow a, borrow a a phrase from an old friend. Um, Yeah. I'm not that confident in really, um a swift change or anything like that i just think i mean we talked about this before where after the magic loss which i mean i felt like that was just more... that's the real low points yeah and the pistons loss oh yeah 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 i that's the thing like i'm i've become immune to collapses it, it's the games where like those games where that's where like my uh, weird fandom lies of like I get actually angry watching those games because that's that, just like... painful though. Because at least in the Nuggets game or the Clippers game, while you were watching that, there was a period where they played well enough to build a lead to begin with, and there was reason to feel some sort of hope. It's yeah. when a team that you know should be better is just crushed by really bad teams. That's when it's 
you know, unbearable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to, yeah, I don't think it, there's going to be much of a change in the end, even with, you know, they play the Celtics on Tuesday without Kyrie, without Marcus Smart, without, uh, no, Daniel, Daniel Tice is out as well. Daniel um, Tice, <laughs> Tice, Tice, baby. Um, and possibly Embiid. Lists. Embiid will be out. There's no way Embiid plays that game. We don't know. We don't know. Why? Why would they have him play that game? I mean, he, you won't have him play that game only to like catch an elbow and re-damage it again. Even if he's healthy, too, he's not going to play that game. It's. I mean, he's he's done until the playoffs, and that's if he is ready to start the playoffs. I'm going to go out on a limb. The books won't finish eight. Wizards, I do not trust at all. Not at all. I don't particularly trust the Heat either. And this isn't about like the books. The book schedule. The this is all going to be decided by how the books react to that loss in Denver, right? Because the games are laid out in a way that is not unfavorable to the books at all in terms of they play the Magic, the Knicks, the Nets. I believe are they the three really awful teams, and they also play. The Celtics, as you mentioned, depleted and a depleted Sixers team who could well have nothing to play for by that game, the final game of the season. The potential is there for the books to win out if they if they have. I'm not saying they will. I'm, I'm, I'm watching this team. I'm saying the potential is there. Even if they don't, they can go four and one. The Wizards, aside from dropping games they shouldn't drop which is a factor with all of these teams we're talking about, they go on the road to the Cavs and the Rockets in the coming week. They still have to play the Celtics as well. I mean, they've got by far the toughest schedule. It's only one game back. Only one game back at them. And really, the the tiebreaker split with them, I believe, wasn't it? So we're down to division, which the Bucks just losing to the Bulls and Pistons and games like that have really hurt them in that tiebreaker. Yeah. I, I feel the Wizards can be caught. Whether the Heat can, that's on if the Heat want to make mistakes because the Heat schedule is Hawks, Hawks, that's a home and home, Knicks on the road, Thunder at home, Raptors at home. Mm. Last two, I mean, both teams with the same amount to play for and a full strength, the Heat probably lose both of those games. We just have no guarantee that the Thunder or the Raptors will be scrapping in quite the same way as the Heat. The Thunder will likely have to play for, for their seeding still at that point, but we'll see. And the other ones at Stan, well, can the Hawks get one of them? Can the Knicks? I mean, the Knicks beat the Wizards last week, so it's it's a kind of strange mix of games left. But I do think, you know, I, I think the books are going to come out of it better, and when we'll know for sure what place they're in is, you know, come out and beat the Celtics on Tuesday, then they can really finish the season kind of strong and make a statement with how they finish the season. And for themselves more than anyone else, to feel confident going into the playoffs, it's if there's a hangover effect from that Nuggets loss, if they're down themselves for a couple of days. Yeah, well, I mean, that's where it's going to be brutal and they could lose even some of those ridiculous games and have us all feeling very down going into the postseason which is not exactly what I want to focus on right now. To get back to overall what we've seen in the last few games, we'll touch on them all briefly. 
I mentioned already, I found the Clippers loss to be the most frustrating and probably the reason why for that is, you know, the Clippers don't have uh, Nikola Jokic, right? They don't have that player. DeAndre Jordan can hurt the books in a certain way. Jokic can do a lot of the same, but he can do more. DeAndre Jordan's not going to score 35 points. I'm not even sure if... Like, the Clippers don't. They don't have a Paul Millsap. They don't have a veteran of that level that can do things. The Nuggets lost. That's a team... You look at the Clippers and the Nuggets, and they're right beside each other in the standings. But that's because one has dramatically overachieved, the other has underachieved. The Nuggets are a team who can do that to you. The Clippers really shouldn't be. And after what had happened eight days earlier in Milwaukee to just gift the Clippers three-pointers in the fourth quarter. That was really, really painful. That was the game that finished me for the season in terms of, I just can't get mad anymore. This is going to be what it's going to be because the Spurs game got me feeling quite good again, and then they did that. I mean, after letting them shoot 50% from deep the week before, they let them shoot 53.6% from deep on this occasion. I mean, you just can't come back from that. And the Clippers aren't good enough to allow them to do that twice in eight days. Anything from that game that stands out to you? Or, I mean, it was a, a really bad game for Jabari. That's obviously worth noting in comparison to what came later in the week. He was one of 12, truly awful. Um, other than that, I mean, the books got pretty solid contributions all around. Bledsoe had turnover problems. Uh, but rebounded really well. Middleton played very well. Giannis was really good. I mean, if you, if you give teams open trees, which the books are going to do, you're opening up the possibility that you lose. That's what happened that one. Yeah, you got rope-a-doped. You were feeling high, and then boom. Right in the face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think... And not even like DeAndre Jordan wasn't even that good that game. I don't. I no, can't... he was better the week before. Yeah, and that game really flipped when Prunty decided to switch Zeller out for Henson, and things just kind of unraveled there. There wasn't that kind of uh, stability at that end of the floor, or actually both ends of the floor, because you know it wasn't just the three pointers that they were giving up. They were giving up pretty easy drives to the rim, as we've seen a lot lately. Um, yeah, yeah it was, uh, that was a tough loss. On Thursday, they moved on to Oracle to play the Warriors. It was a game that um, when Rowan and I recorded this episode last week, we both felt pretty good about because Kevin Durant wasn't wasn't scheduled to be back just at that time. Uh, Draymond Green, we were kind of thinking, who knows? And as it turns out, both guys ended up back. Durant, of course, got ejected at halftime. Deservedly so. And the books were just really good. I, I think that's that's something worth noting there. Um, they were playing a less than full strand Warriors team, but it was one of those games where the books got really great performances, not just from, you know, a couple of the guys. When we talk about like their four best players, Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, Jabari, all shot at least 50% from the field in that game. Um, they score between 14 to 32 points each. It was just a very kind of solid team performance. I mean, what they got outside of that group was immaterial because if your best players play well, the books do have the talent to 
put up a pretty sizable challenge to, to most teams in the NBA. Giannis in that game didn't quite do as much in some of his other games, but I, I think that's maybe the best example of what I think has been one of his very best spells of the season. I don't know if numbers-wise it shows like that, and I will note on this because I feel like it kind of... I think when this happens, it's always the case. Giannis was maybe the biggest cause of that loss on Sunday to the Nuggets. He was awful. All the complaining books fans want to do about foul calls that went against them. The foul calls that went against them didn't hurt them. What hurt them was the books got frustrated about foul calls going against them and then committed countless valid fouls. Giannis was guiltier than anyone. I don't I think he might have had one foul in the first half. And he came out in the he third had two, quarter. He had two or no, yeah, he had one foul in the first half and he got it all in he got like a string of he got four in the third quarter, at least. And yeah. he just he came out and it was just ridiculous fouls. There's one one where he just kind of bumps into Jamal Murray from behind. The frustration. Just, it's just you're you're better than that. You're more important than that. You have to be better than that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, was the sixth foul? Was that a flop by Jokic? Of course it was. But you're one foul it's away. More clumsy than anything. <laughs> I mean, you're one foul away from fouling out. You've got to be smarter. You've got to know that's a possibility. And I mean, to cap it off by getting a tech, have a don't do that because that ultimately costs the team the game. Bledsoe's tech earlier, Yana's tech, any of the dumb fouls they picked up that were valid fouls. There were calls that went against the books. They generally all happened at the time where the books were well on top of the game. The ones that cost them were just the reactions from the books, the continuing to foul true frustration. It's not the answer. Beat them with your actual game because you know you have the players to do that. Uh, but back to my point, I do think Giannis has been playing really well recently. Like even in the first half of that Nuggets game, shooting pretty efficiently, 14 points. I mean, he seems to be peaking at the right kind of time. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have just completely out of this world Giannis games in the playoffs. I think it's entirely possible. I think that's that's how he operates. That's what he would be going all out to do. And as long as he can stay out of his own way in terms of stupid fouls, I don't know what else really stops him. The Lakers game. I mean, we've touched on it already. There's probably not a whole lot to talk about here because it was just like the Nuggets game, except the books managed to actually get the win in overtime. Very solid overall again. And I mean someone will be talking about later, Bledsoe, easily his best game as a book. I mean, his high in points as a book, but I think beyond that, he had no turnovers in 34 minutes. Mm-hmm. Pretty good for Eric Bledsoe. The books are in a place where, you know, if you could just get Bledsoe where he only has two turnovers and he's shooting efficiently, that's a big deal. You're going to win games. You know, that's the books would be very difficult to stop if Bledsoe's shooting 50%. And averaging only two turnovers. So it's a game like that where you say, okay, well, that's the kind of guy they need now. He led them to victory as I alluded to earlier. I had no problem with that. I don't how did you feel about that? Do you, like are you like everyone else and that you're that bothered by the process of Yanis not getting the ball? I mean, I understand that at times. Bledsoe had 39. And we're not talking about it. it wasn't like they called Tony Snell's number. 
he's Eric Bledsoe. Maybe the reaction's stronger because of the feeling that a lot of people seem to have to Eric Bledsoe, but I, I really struggle in that case to be like, no, no, that's that's the wrong thing to do. I mean, Bledsoe kind of grabbed the game by the horns in overtime. I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think um, obviously ESP, uh, Nick Friedel of ESPN, he had a really good uh, it was a recap, but it was more about that instant. And I can understand, I mean, if you're a national guy and you watch the Bucks lakers if you're picked up on that beat, and you see, I mean, Nick Friedel is. It's worth noting that he's basically a local guy at this point because yeah, he does. He's covered probably about sixty percent of books games this year. Yeah, and you see there that crunch time execution. You're going to say, "Why aren't you giving the ball to your best player?" And that's very valid. I mean, I think everybody was thinking that, regardless of how Giannis wasn't that effective as the game wore on, um, but when we've seen other times like that in the past where it's not necessarily Giannis getting the ball. It's, it could be Chris. Sometimes it could be Jabari. And since he's come back and it was funny, I mean, the timing was just perfect about how uh, Rob Mahoney's piece about the, the bucks and just kind of um, diagnosing every <laughs> there, just what this team is at this point where, it's so there is an an organization. It's you could see these things coming from a mile away when things get rough like this, where they're directing their own uh, plays in crunch time. And obviously, you want to catch defenses off guard because if you call a timeout, they're going to have. It's not like the Bucks is cr- like clutch time plays in that instance are going to be even that more imaginative. But uh, I just thought. I don't know. I don't really. I I don't really know how to feel about it because I just think if you, the reason you have Bledsoe, Jabari, Middleton, and whether they're enough is a different conversation for another day. But the reason you have guys who are kind of your second tier stars is that there will be nights where they can step up and take some of the heat. Giannis had five fouls at the time in that Lakers game. He had four turnovers on the night. It's like okay, let's go through Giannis. What what's Giannis going to do? He's going to do exactly what he did that got him fouled out against the Nuggets. So if Bledsoe can go and start out with a 9-0 run, I mean, that is that was job done. That's essentially what happened. The Lakers scored 10 points in the period. Basically, Bledsoe got them there with the way he started that, that final overtime period. I mean, to get on about that in terms of process, you're right. Yeah, it shows a flawed process. You're right. The Rob Mahoney piece was timely. The only issue I had with it was, you know, it's something I, I wrote a piece on that idea of this team not having identity yeah. two, three weeks ago. But that's the fact. It's not that they need to regain something or, you know, they've never had it. They've Under this had current it. iteration, these players, it hasn't existed. They haven't the had it. These that were stated were basically just that. They were false. It was just it was just for the sake of pretending there was an identity. And I don't have a problem right now with how the team's constructed. Is it false? Is it ideal? Yes and no. But with what the books are playing with right now, that isn't going to change between now and the end of the season. If Bledsoe's playing like that, I don't have a problem with you letting them go. And they won. Yeah, that's a that's the thing too, is that we've seen god awful games from Bledsoe recently. Um and even on this trip, like that Clippers game, he was pretty awful. Um 
but to I don't know that that's where if, if there was any other game where he's not setting us you know his Bucks career high in scoring and hitting and you know an, on the off night that he hits seven threes I, which I'm sure is probably a career high as well um that's where things get a little dicey for me where it's like okay I understand where yeah, you're coming but that from, wasn't the night I, I think that's yeah. The, the thing that's worth pointing out in this, and the thing that I can see in it is, Bledsoe was 39 that game. What does he do? He comes back and he has 31 the next game. Yeah. You can't tell me that a game like that doesn't give Eric Bledsoe more confidence. You can't tell me that his team and his teammates gladly saying, okay, we trust you to bring us to get this win and them getting the win, no matter how they end up closer as it might have been in that overtime, that that doesn't help Bledsoe. Much the same as Jabari Parker had 35 against the Nuggets. If Jabari goes back to playing 16 minutes, and we'll get onto that in a little bit, against the Celtics, he's not going to feel quite the same. If he goes out and he plays 34 minutes, he goes and scores 30 plus again, you know, you're building something. We can only complain so much about the performances of supporting guys and then not actually give them an opportunity to do something more. You know, they're supposedly here for their talent. There are going to be times where the books have to trust in that. So I understand the idea of the process isn't great in it. You're right. It's the night when it's Bledsoe has six turnovers and he's shooting two of 12 that you yeah. don't go to that. When he's playing like he isn't that night, if, if that's not the night you call his number, what's the point of having him? Moving it on, talking of guys whose numbers aren't really getting called and what's the point of having them, I want to talk a little bit about the Bucks bench, which, I mean, we've seen a real kind of tumultuous spell over the last couple of weeks from Milwaukee's bench. There was obviously the 70-point outburst they had against the Bulls without Giannis. And in the time since, we've seen things really, really fluctuate. I'm not just talking about performance, though, because I think the most notable thing we're seeing is the minutes dropping off. Now, whether that is... Okay, we're very close to the playoffs. Maybe Joe Prunty is finally thinking playoffs. But we're not in it, according to Joe Prunty. We're not in it. <laughs> that is true. Um, what a or, weird thing. Good God. Or whether it's something else. Well, I mean, he had to ask as well. He said, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we're not in it. I, I, I would have thought you, of all people, would know whether you're in it or not. Oh, my God. Um, what's changed, though, is minutes for some of these guys. Sterling Brown, in particular, that's now a slightly longer trend where he's not quite getting the minutes that he, for sure he was getting earlier in the season. I mean, his pie has dropped off somewhat, so that's understandable, but it's, it's back to, you know, if you don't give him enough minutes to try and break out of that, he's not he's not going to get better again in three-minute bursts, you know? Yeah. The latest one, and I can't, I can't complain about it. Those of you who listen know how I feel is Brandon Jennings. Brandon Jennings is, I mean, close to tanking the books every time he steps on the court at the moment. It's definitely worth noting. It's not entirely his fault because Prunty has a habit of putting him out there with Sterling Brown and Jason Terry and Jabari Parker and whoever else nominally. And that certainly doesn't help. But for example, against the Nuggets, Jennings played four minutes and was a minus nine. I believe that four is rounded up. I think he was somewhere in the 340 range. That's all well and good. He's playing that bad. It's tough to have him on the floor. You've got to figure something out here, though. And 
what I'm seeing is Pronti doesn't trust in his bench right now, and that's causing problems. Jet is the only guy he trusts in, and I understand his reasons why. Watching that final play against the Nuggets unfold, though, I couldn't help but feel, why is Jet on the floor? Why Why is he the guy? What makes him the guy most likely to grab an, in- an inbounds pass in that situation? If the ball gets to him, you go, okay, he'll make the right decision. But setting up a situation like they did, which, by the way, I don't know if this was a thing you'll be able to tell me during the game. My issue was, why did they not call the timeout? Why did Middleton or Prunty not call the timeout when there was no obvious pass to get the ball in? That was my thing. Not the pass. You have a timeout. They use it after Murray made the three free throws. Call timeout. Give yourself another chance. Give yourself a chance to set and redraw a play. Anyway. The Bucks have a big issue with Brogdon, who seems close. Delhi, who maybe isn't quite as close, but is still being positive anytime he speaks about it. Don't come back very soon. Because you can't only have four point guard minutes coming from your bench. You can't have Jason Terry having to play 18 minutes. Terry had a bad week, and it would be easy to get on him for that. But he's also 40 years old. Has played two <laughs> overtime games in three days. Is you know hasn't slept in his own bed for a week. It's like this is where you don't. Jason Terry will give you everything. He's given really good com- contributions throughout two seasons now. Don't ask more of him than he could possibly do at his age. It's like that's where you set yourself up. And right now, that's where the bench is at. Are you seeing the same things that I'm seeing here? And I mean, as well as the books, better players have been playing would you be just as concerned about this trend heading into the playoffs um well to answer your first question i am seeing the same things that you're seeing blue yellow uh those dumb um yeah i think obviously the the bench after the the bulls game where they you know uh, made the best of what they could do without Giannis for the night. Uh, it has not been. It's not been good at all. I mean, the fact it's not even just the their production. I mean, you know, some of the lineups we're seeing, the rotations since then. The Prunty's not putting them in that. position. I'm before that. Well, yeah, but even more so on this road trip. I mean, where you're having guys like Jennings, Jet, Jabari, Thon. They're better than they could have been. You're, you're getting to it now. I was about to make the point that the worst lineup I think I've ever seen from the books is the one where Ton goes and plays at center with some of those guys that we've seen recently, and only his injury spared us on the trip. Yeah, I made a joke about that last um, last week where it was after the Warriors game because that was like the marquee three was like mentioned again. I was like, oh my God, that was this year. And I said, if that, if, Bledsoe and or Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton are the marquee three. Does that make Jennings, Shabazz, and Thon the absentee three? Um, that was late in the game. Anyway, um, yeah, I think Sterling, obviously everybody wants Sterling to play. Even when he isn't playing well, which I haven't, I don't think he has played well since the All-Star break mm-hmm. when he has played. He hit the rookie wall. I think that's clear. I'd be interested to hear him by exit interview time asked about that. Yeah, but he's still been a net positive. I mean, he's not he. The other thing too, he's a guy that even when he doesn't have like, you know, his his shot isn't falling or he's kind of 
you could kind of see him, you know, overthinking things, especially if he's doing like a pump, like if he puts, if he, you know, pump fakes and then puts it on the floor and then kind of goes, it works most of the time, but sometimes he could just kind of unravel from that point on too. Um, what was I going to say? I just, I think you're going to say, because what I was going to come across and now you're forgetting it's quite convenient is even in games like that though, he, he comes in and gets rebounds, for example, or he, yes, he, he does yes. something like there's always, there's always something that he can bring to a game. Even when he's not playing well, he finds a way to make an impact. Like, even, I, even last night where they're just, I mean, that was the thing about everybody was getting mad about foul calls and I kind of bit my tongue while I was live tweeting it, but it, everybody's standing around waiting someone to chase down rebounds. And when Sterling's playing, he's the only one doing it. Like, that's the thing is that he he's he's just kind of that the hustle guy. The you know, the best example is uh, from that game. It's like, did everyone see what Tory Craig, whoever Tory Craig is, was doing for the Nuggets? How dare you? That's a tw- <laughs> he's a two way player for them. I I know. I know. But come on. Did everyone see what he was doing? That's what Sterling Brown will do. You know, it's like he will just come out of nowhere and grab offensive rebounds that he doesn't necessarily have a right to get. Uh, he was the guy for me that why is he not in the game over Jet in that situation later on? I'm not blaming Jet because Milton shouldn't have thrown the pass to him, but having then like Jet, Jet could never catch Jamal Murray. You know, <laughs> there was there was no chance of that. Jet wasn't tall enough. You know, you normally want your some taller but skilled guys in that situation who can catch a ball handle a ball but are also giving you every chance of inbounding that was a mess the the thing i will say that i'm not quite seeing as much as everyone else is seeing and i'd be interested for your thoughts on whether this is just the people are just fed up with henson again which i mean talking about how long a season is we've we've got long enough to reach to reach that point but I don't think Zeller has been quite as good as everyone feels he's been. There are a lot of people standing incredibly hard for Tyler Zeller. Of late, he <clears> hasn't <throat> been that great. No, is that, more, is that more to do with just anyone but Henson or Thon, which leaves you with Zeller? That is that. Is, I mean, being a Bucks fan, that is where most of the egregious, you know, outcry comes from. Anything but player X and Y. That's that's the thing. Because even last night, like I was, when you're watching that, especially the first half, he was Zeller was not good at all. He was no. struggling to with Jokic. Um, I don't think he played against Mason Plumlee all that much, but he was kind of. It was just the difference of him actually being involved in plays on the offensive end because his defense wasn't even that. Like there were times where he was kind of stonewalling guys coming into the paint, which he can do uh, well from time to time. But when he's going against Jokic, I mean, he was kind of just, you know, it, it was kind of letting him. It was just giving him an opening to do Jokic things. It was kind of, yeah, it was just frustrating in that way. Some of the things he does as well. I don't know if we're back into the kind of balancing act of all of this. But in putting Henson in that second unit, does that make the second unit any less of a problem than they have been the last few games? Does that lessen Joe Pronti's headaches when it comes to the bench? No. Um, talking about someone on the bench who, you know, doing pretty well for himself, particularly on Sunday. Jabari Parker, one short of his career high, 
35 points on 14 of 23 from the field, 5 of 8 from deep. Also grabbed 10 rebounds, had 2 assists, 2 steals. Only a single turnover. Um, season high 39 minutes. Comfortable season high 39 minutes. Will I, will I start with the quote because we're inevitably going to get there and we can kind of yeah, mix it all in? Okay, so after the game, um, speaking to the media, Jabari Parker was asked about the fast start he got in the game and how that kind of helped him to kick on and keep playing at a high level throughout. He responded, I think I was getting good looks. What helps is that my teammates helped me out here. What helps is that my teammates helped me out there and they constantly just try to keep me engaged. It's not fun just coming off the bench and playing spot minutes, but I thank them for staying with me. Right. Um, <laughs> the first thing here is, I mean, is this surprising to anyone? Jabari Parker doesn't want to come off the bench. I mean, this is a discussion we've had before that like this was an inevitable thing that was going to happen. I think it's even more understandable that he says it after he gets a chance at his first really extended run of the season and scores 35 points. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of pointing to a bigger thing which is not all that comfortable to be having at this time of the season which obviously we have Jabari's decision but we're or the decision around Jabari is a better way of putting that in terms of when he hits free agency this summer but more importantly and more concerningly we are none the wiser in terms of how the book's best players work together I don't think the best thing for Jabari is him being a starter long term that might be something he eventually has to come to terms with eventually he might have to come to terms with that, but would you agree with me in saying that the books needed to try that at some point? May still need to try that right now because before making decisions, you know, you want to just get a look at that, see how things could be. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole point of what, <laughs> what we kind of wanted to see first and foremost, and then just the way that they have, uh, you know, how the, not the season has changed after the All-Star break, but that has been lost in all the results-oriented kind of uh, way of looking at things is that, you know, Jabari hasn't really featured in this, he hasn't featured in the starting lineup outside of Giannis, filling in for Giannis out for the Bulls game. And more importantly, um, really hasn't been featured all that much in closing games. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, when you're seeing him on the floor for to close out a game like last night, um, that kind of that feels more um, out of the ordinary than anything at this point in the game. And just touching on his whole um, road trip, obviously last night was great. To, I mean, he was one point off of matching his career high, so I don't know what else you expect him to do. Um, but it, his road trip, his play during this road trip kind of touched on everything. <laughs> it, it just felt like, like a microcosm or encapsulated just like everything wrong or what lacks in his game or what's good about his game and just what he means to the Bucks in general in the future. It was just kind of you, cause like that Clippers game, as you said before, he was awful. That might've been one probably 
if not the worst, it was up there as one of the worst games I've ever seen Jabari Parker play play with the Bucks. Um, the Lakers game was not even that much better. Lakers be game wasn't great. Not at all. It wasn't great at all. The the Warriors game was good, very good, and then obviously the Nuggets game was great. So I mean, it was it was a real mixed bag. I I think the one thing on that, and it's something we talk about with other players, we talked about with Tony Snell a lot. Even we've touched on with some of the bench guys. If you want consistent production from your players, you generally have to give them consistent roles and consistent minutes. And Jabari's role, he clearly doesn't feel is consistent or up to what he deserves right now. And I'd be kind of hard-pressed to disagree with that because having only played a maximum of 30 minutes at any point before Sunday and then going for 39. I mean, if you look through his box scores before that game... There'd be plenty of reasons to say, okay, he's still on the minutes restriction and it's clearly 30, right? Yeah. So what happened on Sunday <laughs> means that either there is no minutes restriction anymore, which obviously Jabari will be clued in on that, and that would be more reason for him to be a little bit frustrated about his role, or that Joe Brunty just decided, hey, doesn't matter. We need you. You're playing. Um, neither of those things are particularly reassuring. Uh, I think just the thing that the Nuggets game really hammered home for me, and it, you can kind of go through these spells of forgetting it. People aren't going to like hearing this, right? This is not what a lot of Bucks fans like to hear, particularly a large contingent of fan base who are very much down on Jabari and what Jabari ultimately is. The Bucks' future is going to live and die with Jabari Parker. Honestly, I, I, that's, that's how it is for me. That does not fill me who's a big Jabari Parker fan with optimism even. But I, I think that is it. I mean, if they don't sign Jabari this summer, which there'd be lots of people who'd be like, no, don't pay him the money that's going to cost to bring him back. Who are they getting and how are they getting them? They just, they can't get another player easily who can go and score 35 points and grab 10 rebounds like he just did on Sunday night. They just don't have the means to get a player like that. If they have the means to get a player like that, it's going to involve trading probably two of Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon. So you're going to have to give up more. And there are discussions to be had, and I, I do think we'll have them shortly after the season finishes, about you know the potential for the books to make trades. And you know I, I think the biggest reason you'd say the books need to make a big trade, it can no longer be... I, I, I don't know. Kemba Walker's name has become popular again recently, obviously because of things he's been saying. And Hassan Whiteside's name will probably become popular because of things he's saying. Uh, I see these names and I just I just laugh. I, I really laugh because if you're watching the books, and I love Kemba Walker, he's really good and he'd be an upgrade. He's not the level they need. Because if your problem with the books is that what they have isn't enough, you're looking at a different approach and you're looking at they need to trade in two of their very good players for another legitimate superstar. You know, a, a real 1B to Giannis. And on the roster at the moment, the only player who on any given night I think can live up to that billing is Jabari. And that's with all of his flaws. I, I think the most important thing for the books could well be finding a way to hide what he does wrong, to minimize the damage it causes, to find a coach that works on building a fit with him and Giannis, works on building a better understanding between them. I don't know what other players are around that, what other pieces, but just in terms of, I mean, 
it's so easy for everyone to just be like, no, the books need to go and get this guy or go and do this. You're talking about marginal upgrades for the most part. You know, <laughs> most of the guys there, even even some of the better ones, they're they're not quite at the level to get you up to. Don't know if people have noticed, but the Warriors have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. That's without mentioning Clay Thompson or Draymond Green. If you want to go one-two punch, it's Durant and Curry. The Rockets, Harden and Paul. Like, the books are approaching it a different way. They may ultimately need to go all in on getting a second kind of, a second superstar. But what they have, though, um, the situation they're in, they're going to have to at least put some trust in Jabari potentially being that sort of player. Because you can't just trade him so easily because he's a free agent. You're going to have to deal with whatever comes out of that. Whether anyone will want him on the contract you have to sign him to this summer when he's eligible to be traded again. It's pretty uncertain. It's far from ideal, but I think the books are somewhat backed into a corner on Jabari Parker. And because of that, they need to put a little bit more fade in him. And that will lead to some really bad moments and some really good moments. But they're going to have to go through them until they find out, okay, have we got enough? There's an element for me that Yanis and what Yanis becomes in Milwaukee and achieves in Milwaukee is going to be tied to what Jabari becomes and achieves in Milwaukee. And that I can't say that's that's perfect. It's the situation the books are going to find themselves in, though. Yeah, I kind of get, I mean, I reflect because I keep, I mean, especially after a game like last night, I kept seeing um the Jabari if this is what he can do on on a given night you know what could he mean to the Bucks future and I kind of instantly like reflex because I'm like the worst is <laughs> to come kind of thing but um I don't know I, to talk about to touch on all of that stuff about you know Jabari and then the Kemba and Hassan Whiteside not that I'm saying I am no, I don't mind. I'm just saying that but, that That's was another thing when they happened. It's going to come again. Yeah, and it yeah. was a thing when it happened. I mean, this what I don't know. We we were, we're not only do we have the Jabari stuff coming going on the summer, we have obviously the coaching search, and I mean, obviously, I think we have no way of knowing how that's going to shake out or who they're going to get, just because you know the last time that they had a big organizational search for someone, it ended up in the worst way possible. Or also um, how. how- whatever decision they make in that regard is going to influence roster decisions too, or how they want to play or what they're looking to do. Exactly. But I mean, as far as the season, a lot of it is just due to the margins is that where you have guys like when we're talking about the bench, I mean, just, I don't know, like obviously the whole Jabari situation could be set. Like there's, that's been covered well covered to this point. It's about these little margins of, you know, their last first round, three or first round picks haven't panned out in the, you know, and, and the, like the most, you know, bare bones of all uh, ways possible. And, you know, you're relying on Jason Terry, 40 years old and God bless him. But <laughs> I mean, when he's like, you're kind of, spot or kind of influential bench player that can play with the starting lineup and kind of tie things over. I mean, that's where a lot of this is just you, everybody wants that second superstar or star next to Giannis. And I'm looking at a team like the Raptors where, you know, they have like these, 
cadre of really young guys that are you don't really know what to make of them, but they're good. The Bucks have nothing of that. They have no like next. Like, right, but that that wow. does as well. The Raptors, the Raptors have. They're not top top tier stars in the NBA, but they have DeRozan and Larry surrounded by that. The Bucks are in a place where they don't have their clear two guys, and they don't have those young guys behind it. They've got one guy who, I mean, is as as much of a certainty as any player in the NBA. They've got three to four very good guys a tier down behind them. And then you've got really nothing else. I mean, role players here or there, whatever. It's it, nothing that's consequential. I think. I think the only thing for me is the question would be like, can the books get better next year from losing Jabari Parker? The answer is yes. They can get better with or without him if they get a good coach. But can the books have more talent on their roster next season? while deciding not to re-sign Jabari this summer? I think the answer is a definite no to that. You're, you're just not going to have as many guys who can do different things because you know if you're losing him and you've got Middleton and Bledsoe, you're going to be short. They don't have they don't have the assets and flexibility to do anything else. If you're combining them to be your asset for something else, well, then you're going to be having two guys. And unlike the Raptors or maybe the Celtics teams who, if they have two guys or whatever, then have the other really high-quality players to fill in all the gaps around them. The books don't have that either. There's going to be an element of trust in Jabari, and that's uncomfortable, but hey, we'll talk about it another day. We're running out of time. We wanted to talk about Bledsoe's recent uptick in form. Um, this is all we're going to say on it. He's, he's been very good recently, particularly his last two games, obviously, <laughs> and it would help, Eric, if you're listening, if you could keep doing that for the you know, the next next few weeks, that'd be nice. Jordan, it's time for our Jack Bauer update. We're both professionals. You know that I can force this information out of you, but I'm running out of time. Four games for the Bucks over the last week. How many 24-second shot clock violations did they force? We're at 63. So that's four for the week. Yes. One for each game. One for okay. each game. We're, we're neither of us. Well, you're not getting your 70 mark either. I mean, 72, we, and I will. That was a revised one, too. Including playoffs. No, I don't see it. Predictions, Jordan. Let's look to the week ahead. Firstly, Tuesday, back home at the Bradley Center. I mean, third last game at the Bradley Center, I believe. Right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, The Celtics visit, as you mentioned, without Kyrie Irving. What's your prediction? Bucks. Mm. No. No, no. Sorry, Celtics, that, that would have been consistent with what you've been saying about Brad Stevens for quite some time. <laughs> Celtics by... Celtics by... Uh, also, a preview of what's to come in the playoffs? Who knows? Celtics by five. <laughs> I'm going to go... I'm going to go with the Bucks, Jordan. I'm going to go Bucks by eight. Thursday, still back at home. The Brooklyn Nets will visit Milwaukee. What's your prediction? Bucks by 13. Um, I'm going to go Bucks by 15. 
it's not like me to go for big books wins, but I think that might get. Well, you're all about the big books, aren't you? I'm all about the big books. Um, (laughs) Saturday, back on the road, Madison Square Garden, New York Knicks. What's your prediction? This time, Giannis will be jumping over Luke Cornett to a player. (laughs) I mean, that would be impressive. Seven foot. I mean, he'd be jumping over himself. Luke Cornett is sneaky good, and he's going to be a book and a big contract in two years. Yep. Anyway, um, I will go Bucks by eight. Um, I will go Bucks by four. You know, Michael Beasley's going to hold them close right till the end, and then the Bucks will find a way through. All right, that does it for this episode. We will be back later in the week for an overdue mailbag episode and all of that. Uh, hopefully, with a couple of good books games under our belts too. We'll see. And if you wanna, you wanna make sure you catch that. You're probably doing already, but if not, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, our favorites, and tune in radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Winning Six Podcast, and you should be reading mine, Jordan, and the rest of the team's work at BehindTheBookPass.com. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.